Bibles this morning open to Mark 13. Mark chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the end of chapter 13. And I'm already going to give a disclaimer. This is going to be another two-parter. <laughs> Desi's eyes just got really big right there. Um, so we'll, we'll f- focus on kind of the setting and the first point of the message this morning. We also have communion we're going to be celebrating, so I don't want to uh, go too far and then push that back. But then we'll also look at the second and third point next Sunday uh, as we uh, conclude chapter 13. So if you found your way to chapter 13, uh, if you're a, using a pew Bible, it is page 850, page 850 in the pew Bible. Let's pray and I read our passage this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, as we've sung, oh, praise the name. What a wonderful thing that we will sing for eternity. That we will worship you. And it will not be mundane. We will not grow weary, but rather, Lord, each day we will find another reason to praise you, to live for you, to bring you honor and glory for eternity. Lord, may we look forward to that with hope. Help us now as we come to your word. Lord, I pray that we would submit ourselves to it. We would seek to understand it, that your spirit would help us to understand it. And Lord, that we would apply it to our lives. pray in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is an appropriate concluding statement for any pastor, I think, on any Sunday morning, right? I say to you all, stay awake. (laughs) Uh, maybe if it was on the other side of daylight savings time, it'd be more appropriate. You guys all have an extra hour of sleep this morning, so hopefully you're refreshed and awake. But this passage uh, is the conclusion of Mark 13, of what we know as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here on the Mount of Olives, and they ask the question, when will the temple be destroyed and when will you return? Meaning, when is your second coming? When will you come in all your glory? And Jesus seeks to answer that question, but he doesn't necessarily give the answer that the disciples are looking for. He talks about circumstances, and he talks about uh, the idea of principles and what things will be like, but he doesn't give hard, fast, a hard, fast timeline. 
But what Jesus is doing here, like he did in the first parts, is he's reinforcing to his disciples that no matter what comes, I'm concerned about the character and the conduct of your lives. How are you going to act? What are you going to be about? What are you going to be focusing on rather than all these specific dates? And he does that again here in the second half of the chapter. One of my favorite things uh, growing up was when my grandma would come to visit our house. My grandma PB, we called her. And I love when grandma PB came to visit because she always brought a delicious meal. Not that my mom's not a good cook, uh, but grandma, (laughs) nothing like grandma's cooking, right? And grandma, because... Um, because she's grandma, she always brought our favorite things. She always brought barbecue meatballs and homemade mac and cheese and banana cream pie. Oh, I loved when grandma would show up. And being a kid, I knew that grandma was coming. So if I got home from school or if maybe it was over the summer or a weekend when I didn't have school, there was a spot on the couch in our living room where I could sit and I could see up the street as best I could around the corner. And I would sit there waiting for my grandma to come. She had a little blue Oldsmobile, and I would just sit there and wait and wait. And my mom would say, great, it's not going to be for a while. I know, but I'm waiting. I'm looking in anticipation. And as I got older, my mom would say to me, why don't you help us prepare for grandma coming? Can you, you know, make sure that your toys are picked up or that her room is ready to go or that this is ready or the table is set or whatever it is. So in my waiting, my mom finally said, why don't you do something productive and prepare for your grandma's arrival? Oftentimes, if it was in the winter, I'd be tasked with going out and making sure the driveway was shoveled and the sidewalk and didn't want any ice for grandma. We didn't want her to fall and we didn't want the food to fall, you know. (laughs) But I was waiting in anticipation for my grandma's arrival. And I would wait there for hours. And I would have, mom, is it time? Close. I don't know. It's going to be close. She's coming. Could be any time. Did you do your chores? Yes, I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm prepared. And finally, I would see that little blue Oldsmobile turn the corner and make its way down. And there was my grandma PB. And I'd run out and I'd help her carry the food in. And um, I was so excited for her arrival and everything that she brought with her. In this last half of Mark 13, Jesus describes the appearing of himself as the Son of Man in all of his glory. And what he commands the disciples to do is to be vigilant, to stay awake, to be watchful, and in their watching, to be prepared. Just as I was an excited little boy sitting on the couch in our living room, looking out our front window, waiting for my grandma to show up, Jesus calls us, to be waiting with anticipation for his return. And as we wait, that we are preparing, that we are vigilant, that we stay awake. Our big idea this morning from this passage is this. The unknown timing of Christ's return calls us to a watchful vigilance as we wait for him. So we don't know the exact timing of Christ's return. We know that there are characteristics and events that will precede it but we don't know exactly when all that's going to get started. But we know that it is coming. And because of that, we are to be watchful. We're to be vigilant as we wait for him. This unknown timing will bring several things with it. 
God's glory will be revealed, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But also, we know that Christ's words will come to pass. That is our second point. And our last point is that the disciples, and we too, must be on the lookout. As the disciples are waiting and watching expectantly, we too must be waiting and watching expectantly with vigilance for the return of Christ. So let's look here and verse, or in verse 24 through 27. Our first point, God's glory will be revealed. So as we wait with watchful vigilance for the return of Christ, understand that when he does appear, his glory will appear in all of its splendor. So starting in verse 24, but in those days. So Jesus here is uh, continuing in his discussion. If you remember in verses 1 through 23, he talks about the signs of the end of the age. Basically wars and rumors of wars and conflict and, and destruction and false teachers and false prophets and people being given over to death and betrayed because of the gospel. These things are all characteristics of the last age, but they aren't necessarily precursors saying, hey, look, Jesus is going to come soon. For these things have been happening really since sin entered into the world. So he gives these characteristics of what the overall spirit and attitude will be like uh, during this quote-unquote end of the age. But then in verse 14, he talks specifics finally. He talks about this abomination of desolation, and we reference that from Daniel chapter 12. And this is, we understand to be the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians 2. And this is when he comes and he sets himself up as God. In our understanding of the end times in our church, uh, we would see this happening during the tribulation when God's judgment and wrath is being poured out on the earth and, and the Antichrist sets himself up as God in the temple saying, worship me. This is the abomination of desolation. And there's going to be great tribulation and persecution and, and destruction and false teachers and false signs and people are going to be led astray, but yet they're going to be a faithful remnant that believe in the true God. So that's where we are up to verse 23. Now in verse 24, we see what happens after that. So we have this, this man of lawlessness, this, this abomination of desolation, this enemy of Christ. But in those days, after that tribulation, verse 24, Jesus continues. That tribulation, this great time of trial and judgment that's being poured out, we see this complete upheaval of the natural world. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. It's interesting that in the first century, during Paul's ministry, some people thought that they missed the second coming of Christ. That's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians concerning the day of the Lord, because some people had heard that they missed it. Man, what, what an amazing thing to miss out on, right? Oh no, Jesus came back and we missed him. Reading this passage here, makes it very clear that when Jesus returns, it's going to be very clear to us. <laughs> it's going to be very clear to everyone who is present. Why? Because we see this great natural upheaval in the world around us. In those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. 
whether this is some form of eclipse or God's supernatural power, the sun will be darkened like Christ's crucifixion when the sun was darkened for that time. The sun is pretty visible to most people, right? (laughs) When it's up, you can see it. And when you know it should be up and it's not, you know that something's happening that's out of the ordinary. Not only will the sun be darkened, but the moon will not give its life. So there's this complete reversal or upheaval in the cosmos and the stars will be falling from heaven. Whether this is meteorites or something very clear in the sky, something is happening. Something is happening. There's plenty of of, um, evidence from history of when eclipses would happen, which are a normal occurrence in the course of the cosmos as God has designed uh, our solar system and how our planets rotate and, and revolve around the sun, that eclipses happen and on a regular schedule. This is something that's out of the ordinary. But when eclipses have happened, there have been uh, records from several different ancient uh, societies and cultures where they thought that something was happening on a, on a, a God level because they didn't know exactly what was happening, but the sun all of a sudden was darkened. So even in that limited sense, we see here how on a greater way that something is going to be happening and that God's behind it. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its life, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. This is something that is very clear to the entire world, that the sun will be different. The moon will be different. The stars, whether it's meteorites or meteor showers or whatever it is, we don't know necessarily for sure, but it will be very clear. These specific descriptions are used to describe the complete upheaval of nature. In Revelation, we read of how the earth itself will physically change at Christ's coming. We read of when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives as his returns, it split in two. (laughs) The earths are going to be earths going to be remade to a new heavens and a new earth, complete change, observable by all. Many of these phrases are allusions to passages from the Old Testament where the prophets prophesied about the coming of the Messiah and how it's going to be accompanied by all these signs and wonders. They're going to be pointing to the fact that God is at work. And that something is happening. Just as we read in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, here the glory of God in the sky is pointing to him. A few weeks ago I took a picture, uh, I think it was after a, a storm or something, and just this beautiful sunset over the church. And it's like, wow. And so I took a picture and I posted it. And several people said, I saw that same sunset. This is so beautiful. Just went outside to look at it. It's that idea that something's going to be so uh, magnificent and so huge that everyone will see it. But what will people see? They'll, they'll see all these things happening. But in verse 26, they will also see this. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. They will see. All these things will be a precursor. They're just the setting 
for the greatest thing, which is the coming of the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the Son of Man that he's been alluding to from Daniel chapter 7. If you can, turn to Daniel 7 in your Bibles. We read it already this morning, but this is so important for our understanding because Daniel uh, speaks a lot to God's sovereignty and his plan, not only for the nation of Israel, but his plan for all of creation in the time to come. In Daniel chapter 7, <coughs> Daniel's writing and he has this vision of four beasts. And these beasts uh, refer to four different nations. And these nations are world powers that have overtaken the Mediterranean world. And, and he's using this, God is, to describe his sovereign control over these nations. And how they are seeking to devour one another and to demonstrate power and sovereignty and control. But then we get to verse 9, and I love this. This is becoming one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, if not in the entire Bible. Verse 9, so Daniel has this vision of these four beasts and these great and terrible things, but then all of a sudden he sees this, and it says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That, that's God. It's God the Father, the Ancient of of days. His clothing was white as snow. It's, it's pure. He's holy. And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. And thousands, a thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. This is this, this picture of the throne room of God, the ancient of days seated on his throne. And any idea that you have of God that he is just a nice, kindly grandpa should go out the window. Streams of fire issuing, glory, majesty, judgment, holiness. This is a powerful, holy God. And thousands and thousands served him and worshiped him and stood before him. And he sat in judgment, the ancient of days. So as Daniel saw the vision of these four beasts, his eyes are then turned to the ancient of days who's over all these nations. Verse 11, and I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed. This is this, this final enemy of God. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. This last nation that we understand to be this revived Roman empire, this last enemy that's going to fight against God, is going to be burned up. Verse 12, and as for the rest of the beats, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The ancient day is seated. He is giving out judgment. And he is showing his power over all these nations. Then verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion, dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
all these nations are warring and they're trying to set themselves up and the ancient of days says, no, I'm in control. I'm going to judge you. But then all of a sudden, Daniel sees this one like a son of man, like a man. That's what the term means, son of man, comes before God. Who can stand before God? Can you and I stand before God? No, we cannot. But there's one who's like a son of man who, who has the appearance of a human and, and he's standing for God. How can that be? Because it's Jesus, the, the God-man. And he stands before him and he came to the ancient of days and was, was presented. And what did he receive? He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. He's given dominion, sovereignty over everything. He's given glory, the fact that he himself is worthy of worship and a kingdom, the fact that he's given a people. Dominion and glory and a kingdom. And that some people, that a few people, that only those who want to, no, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Hopefully this reminds you of Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every person, every nation, every language should serve him. Why? Because this dominion is not passing. This dominion is not uh, dependent upon an election every four years. This dominion does not uh, pride itself in, in subjecting people through sheer force. No, this dominion is an eternal, everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is the kingdom God. This is the kingdom of the Son of Man. This is Jesus who is the suffering servant king who one day will come back as the conquering Lord of Lord and kings of king, king of kings. This image in Daniel 7 would be well known to the nation for the nation was in exile at this time and they longed for their own nation, their own place where they could worship God, where they could live, their own rule. But now we see in Mark 13 that Jesus is bringing this full circle. And Jesus says, in those days, after the tribulation, nature will start to point to the fact that something's happening. And what's happening? It's the Son of Man coming. And how does he come? Clouds with great power and glory. This is the fulfillment of Daniel 7. This is the Son of Man coming to rule and to reign on an everlasting throne forever. This is going back to Genesis 1. This is coming full circle from the very beginning of creation when God created the heavens and the earth and he put Adam in the garden and said, Adam, I'm giving this to you. You are to have dominion over all that I've created. Steward it well. Adam failed. Jesus did not. And just as Adam failed and was sent out of the garden, and his dominion was thrown upside down, and things were thrown in, and curses, and sin, and everything that went wrong, just as Adam failed, now Jesus has succeeded, and he's going to come back, and there's going to be a reversal of all that, and there's going to be a return to the garden. Not back to that garden that was, but a new and better garden, to a new heavens and a new earth forever. And we will be with him and we will enjoy fellowship with God. Not only will we be in his presence, but we will have communion with him 
face-to-face as God designed it from the very beginning, that sin destroyed, that Jesus has died for, that Jesus has corrected, that is now coming back as it should be. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope that we look forward to, that the Son of Man will be coming on the clouds. This is something to be seated on your couch, looking up the road, waiting for that blue Oldsmobile to turn the corner. (laughs) And it's going to be a little bit more grand than that. It's going to be Jesus coming in all glory. And then we read this in verse 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus will come. And what does he gather? He gathers all those who are his, who are his fathers, whether they are alive on the earth or whether they are in heaven. He's gathering them all. It's the idea that we are all coming back, whether we've we've passed or we're alive or we are all coming together. We are all being gathered together. The chosen that are Jesus's that belong to him, though they are scattered to the four winds, he is gathering them together. And this is interesting. There's a striking contrast between this huge cosmic array of glory that is coming and why is there all this glory? It's because one man has come. His followers are going to be brought out from all corners of the earth, from everywhere. But yet they are brought to one person, to Jesus. They converge at a single point. Jesus, one author says, is the focal point of divine redemption. And though believers may be spread out all over the earth, they come to one person and one person alone, Jesus Christ. I think that's interesting. Believers are spread out all over the earth, but yet they come to one person place, one person, one point to Jesus. What a great reminder for us of the words of John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Anyone can believe from any place, from the four winds, but yet it is only through Jesus that there is redemption and that there's only through Jesus that the kingdom is coming. God's glory will be revealed. This is what we are waiting for. This is what we are looking forward to, and you will not miss it. It cannot be missed. It will be clearly revealed to all creation through his second coming as he gathers his elect to himself to conquer his enemies, to rule for eternity, to be seated on that throne. What does this passage do for us? It brings hope to those who wait patiently under suffering and persecution for the return of Christ. It brings us hope. Why does it bring us hope? It's because this world is so messed up. This world is so filled with difficulties and sin and brokenness. Yet we look forward with hope because one day all that will be done away with. And we won't have to wonder if the one who is leading and ruling and reigning over us is crooked or perverse or is only out for what he can get. No, because it's going to be the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, our King, seated on his throne, ruling for eternity. Behold, the Son of Man comes in clouds with great power and glory, Jesus says. 
what a day that will be. What a hope that is. For us now, as we suffer in big ways and small ways, as the world's acceptance of Christianity and gospel beliefs are starting to wear away, as people start to look at us and think that we are intolerant, that we are mean, that we are backwards, that your gospel is offensive, that your God doesn't love, it's not accepting, as people start to mock and ridicule more and more, even in this country that we enjoy freedom to worship, we are to wait patiently, looking, looking for God's glory that will be revealed. It brings us hope because it will happen and it's going to be amazing. Next week, we'll continue to look at this passage where Jesus gives some more illustrations and some more reminders. And as we understand that Jesus is coming, we wait with expectation, with bated breath, knowing that he will come. We'll talk next week about how Jesus' words will come to pass so you can trust what he says. But we must be vigilant. Know that when he comes, we will see it. And may we wait for him with watchful vigilance, understanding that his glory is gonna be revealed to all. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. And just the hope and the joy that it should cause within us. The settled hope that Christ will be revealed. He will be made known. And Lord, that we long for that day when he comes to set up his kingdom. Lord, may we be vigilant and watchful now. May we remain hopeful, understanding that this will come to pass. His glory will be revealed. We pray in his name. Amen.